Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to the Mike Wise Show, episode number 12, Bruce Bowen. Believe it or not, I interviewed this kid in high school when he was just 18 years old. He is now like 80-something. No, he's not. You're going to love the conversation. Darlene, take it away. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Always appreciate the love, Darlene. I never take it for granted. Before we get to Bruce Bowen, real quick, here's a word from the newest member of our Pure Hoops media team, my friend, Monica McNutt. Hey, Pure Hoops fans, I'm Monica McNutt, and I'm pumped to announce my podcast rolling out April 11th, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. We're going to do it every Thursday. Hopefully, we'll have some conversations with your favorite hoopers. We'll get to their journey in the game, what makes it special, why they love the game, all of that good stuff. So please check it out. It's Buckets, Boards, and Blocks rolling out on April 11th every Thursday. Welcome to the Mike Wise Show. Uh, really happy to have as a guest Bruce Bowen, a person that you know he's he doesn't even remember when I interviewed him first. I was oh, I was pro- go ahead. <laughs> you had a Sanger man. I was in high school. <laughs> yeah, obviously you're a lot older than me, but no, it, it was way back when none of the things that we're doing now were ever crossing our minds, especially from where we were from. This is so true. I uh, I was just happy to have a sports writing job out of Fresno State at a little small weekly paper, and they played your uh, Edison Tigers a couple times a year. And I remember going to the what I would call the West Fresno Hood at the time, <laughs> and uh, I, I remember like almost your whole high school team could dunk. And I I always remember Bruce Bowen standing outside the locker room and I was trying to get a quote from you for the end of it. And I ended up talking to you for probably 10 minutes. You didn't recognize me because I'd had hair then. Um, but I, um, I just remember, I did remember thinking to myself at one point, like this, this dude's smart. He's our, he's funny. And, uh, and you know, how does a guy get out of this environment? And sure enough, you did. And to catch up with you in the NBA years later, while I was at the New York times and I don't know, it just, it's it's interesting how the world comes full circle, and uh, I'm really of of all the people I've had in the pl- program, and I've had a lot already. Um, really happy to welcome you. Well, I appreciate that, Mike, and and I, I must say this as well, my man. It, it does my heart well whenever people from the valley are able to, I mean, show that that we're not just some, as people like to say, cow town individuals <laughs> or you know, dates and raisins and things of that nature, even though we do come from the agricultural mega mecca. So uh, I'm thrilled about this as well, my man, and proud of you as well. Well, Bruce Bowen, as you know, uh, most of you know, is one of the greatest defensive players in NBA history, three-time NBA world champion, 
And uh, he basically took his talents after basketball to the broadcast industry. You're on your second tour with the Worldwide Network. I, I had a small one for about three and a half years. Are you enjoying yourself again? I am enjoying myself, Mike. You know, I, I thought about it going back. And first of all, I didn't leave under bad circumstances. It just things just sometimes happen where, you know, you, you don't make the cut, so to speak. Uh, but I, I enjoy giving my opinion about the game because I think that's what makes us so special in it, who we are as human beings. We all think have different thoughts, and it doesn't necessarily align with others, but as long as you have an opinion and something to sustain whatever you believe, I think that's where the learning aspect of not just about the game but learning about individuals as well happens through that respect. Can I uh, and I'll just bring this get this out of the way really quickly. I was I was really bothered by the way things ended for you with the Clippers. You had a you had a year with them, and clearly they were upset about the Kawhi Leonard comments. Um, which the, the thing that bothered me the most about it, and maybe from a big picture perspective, is all we've done our whole careers um, when athletes went into the media is we killed them for being so deferential to the players that came after them to the point of they wouldn't criticize them and they wouldn't be honest about them and authentic about them. And, and along comes someone, a fresh voice like Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Shaq has fun with athletes and almost not to a, a mean spirited part, but, but a, okay, this is you as a professional. I'm going to be hard on you because this is how you get better just as a coach would get on you. You did that with Kawhi Leonard, and I and, and the Clippers went, you know, bad shit basically for for, for, <laughs> wor for worse. Um, like, look, looking. I, the great thing about this podcast, you can say you, you don't have to worry about it unless your kids listen. You can get away with some swear words. <laughs> but uh, but but Bruce, were you all things? I mean, it's been over a year now. Do you have any thoughts about that going back? You know, one of the greatest. Uh things that came out of that, Mike, and, and you know me, you know how I think, uh, or, or a little bit of how I think by all the time we spent with each other. I use that as a, as a great example for my kids. I have an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old, and I remember when my oldest son said, Papa, you got fired? And I said, yep. Um, I said, but most importantly, son, I want you to be able to really stand behind what you say or what you feel about something. I don't want you to ever go along with the flow because someone else wants you to do something if that's not how you feel. Now, there's been a lot of things said about this, and the fact that I didn't know that this was such a big deal because the Clippers never shared with me their intentions of possibly going after Kawhi. So here it is. I have a done deal ready to go, and it's pulled off the table after this. Now, I look at that as do I want to deal with a, a organization or someone that that does business that way, or you know how about this? Um, sometimes we don't realize how good things can be even in the midst of certain adversities. Mm -hmm. And so this adversity for me was a situation where if we are not able to say what we feel about a player, and and it wasn't derogative. I, I enjoy Kawhi. I saw Kawhi at All-Star and shook his hand. My boys love him. 
But there was no, oh, there's Bruce. I'm not going to say anything to him because what he said about me. My thoughts were these. Anytime you go about your actions and you show other possible candidates to be bosses for you and you're not with your team competing, I think that sends a red flag. I think that sends a message that maybe that person's not all in to something. And I think so many times we've given certain, well, just this generation, we we coddle a little too much. You know, I, I was thrilled when Magic Johnson said that, you know what, this is, this is a business and these boys are grown men. This is what happens when the, the turmoil was going on about getting Anthony Davis to the Los Angeles Lakers and some of the, some of the players, the younger players' feelings were hurt. Now, in this game, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, you look at the compensation that a player gets, and Kawhi got all his money from the San Antonio Spurs that year, even though he didn't play a full season. And for this to become what it was, I was like, wow, this is amazing. But for the Clippers to do that, if you're predicating on – if things that you do are predicated on your commentator and what he says, then that's, then that's the wrong, wrong message. Yeah. Um, there's going to be people that are going to be critical, and you need that constructive criticism for your players to be better. I don't think you can dumb it down to the, play, to the individuals that are supporting the team and tell them that they're doing fantastic when they see it every single game that they're dogging it. What is that organization, or I should say, what are the fans of that organization going to think of the organization if they just want to put puppets in place that are just going to do that? Yeah, yeah. Bruce Bowen is my guest on the Wise Ass Show. Well, it was the Wise Ass Show. Now it's the Mike Wise Show because Twitter wouldn't accept that name for advertising purposes. <laughs> Can you believe that, Bruce? By the way, is that wrong or what? Twitter. I mean, it, I mean, it, uh, well, it's it's interesting. You know, I'm sure you could have gone to different depths and, and possibly fought that, Mike, but I'm yes. sure you thought about it and said, why would I do that? Why, why is it necessary to fight something like this? Right. Let's just keep it going where we can allow the public to hear these great nuggets of wisdom <laughs> that you have. <laughs> Big, pick your battles, as they say. Uh, Bruce, absolutely. Uh, yeah, just for anybody that hasn't uh, wasn't in the know last summer, uh, the summer before last, um, uh, the the words, basically the criticism was Bruce Bowen came out and said, you know, I, I think there was nothing but excuses going on talking about Kawhi Leonard. First, it was, well, I was misdiagnosed. Look here, you got 18 million this year and you think that they're trying to rush you. You didn't play for the most part a full season this year. And you're the go-do guy. You're the franchise. And you want to say that they didn't have your best interests at heart? Are you kidding me? And it, yeah. what got me about that was was fair criticism was, was um if you the clip, it's one thing I would be maybe maybe okay, Bruce. You know, Kawhi's our guy. He's he's in our roster right now. Be careful. You know, he, we don't want to alienate a guy in our own roster. I could understand that, but I could not understand like this is this is a free agent we're going to go after, and we want. If I was Kawhi Leonard and and I saw that move by the Clippers, I thought that's pretty small time. <laughs> like you're going to get rid of your broadcaster because he was critical of a possible potential free agent. I just, uh, whoever made the decision, and Doc Rivers, God bless him, whoever it was in there upstairs, I just, you know, it was a little much. And, uh, I, you know, I guess we could be labored all day, but um, but the bottom line is you've moved on and you're doing well. Yeah, you know, and that's what happens in life, Mike. I mean, you, you've dealt with things where 
you know, in, in certain situations where there's necessarily a reprimand or something like that, you, you have no other choice but to say, okay, what's next? And so, you know, I was fortunate enough that, you know, ESPN was still, still there and they, they, they thought highly enough of me to say, Hey, well, let's, let's bring them back into the fold. But, um, you know, for the, for, for the, for all this stuff that has transpired from it, I might, I have no issues with it. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's part of life and you have to deal with certain situations that take place like that. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And I, like you said, one door closes, the uh, the next one opens and, and we move on and we think, you know, it's a blessing. I'm here now instead of there. Um, I guess I wanted to get I wanted to get your take on the evolution of Greg Popovich, obviously a coach that everybody respects, maybe the greatest of all time at this point. It, it, you know, if not, he's in the. He's in the same sentence with Pat Riley, Phil Jackson, Red Auerbach, and a couple others. Um, I I, I want to say that he was always a tough uh, SOB. He was somebody that always demanded so much of the people around him and the players around him. Um, and yet he's he's gone to this next level of being outspoken on social issues that I think really resonate with not just his players, but a lot of people that that know of his military background and say, well, this is a guy who's who's not afraid to say what he thinks. Uh, your thoughts on just pop the coach and pop the person. I think pop the coach is an individual who, who understands the big picture. And uh, the understanding of the big picture is how can I navigate through certain areas with a player like David Robinson and Tim Duncan where we can be successful and get something out of that as far as championships are concerned without just depending solely on them and let's let's kind of let's utilize them as the foundations and put pieces side by side those individuals to see what transpires and then there's the you know after 10 years of that (laughs) then let's go another five years where we have to adjust I think the thing that really separates Pop from a lot of the others is that it's not just one way as far as him being effective in the game. You talk about Phil Jackson. You talk about Pat Riley. Uh, Pat's dominance with a big man was where it sat until he got the, the best player in the world and and kind of changed the, the scenario with LeBron James being in the fold in Miami. But prior to that, he had Kareem. He had Shaq. So, um, then you look at Phil, Phil's necessity to have a Jordan and a Kobe for the triangle to work. <laughs> you never heard of the triangle working without those type of dominant players. Um, I, I have to say that you look at Greg Popovich and you look at what he's been able to do with a young Tim Duncan, a, a older David Robinson, a – uh, a, a medium Tim Duncan, and then an old Tim Duncan, <laughs> along with Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, being in the fold, creating the victories that he did because he had to change up the system. And then to bring Kawhi Leonard into the fold as a young player to help in the process. I think what Pop has had to deal with as far as being more creative than those other coaches shows his dexterity of the game as far as what he understands for it to go in a certain direction 
as well as milking certain things along with R.C. Buford because they don't do that unless those two are on the same page and are able to create a different type of style of play that is very much predicated a lot like European play where the ball gets from one side of the floor to the other and you have a lot of player movement and ball movement. Yeah, the the Spurs went from sort of the small market, uh, boring team to, gosh, these guys play basketball the way it's supposed to be played, and (laughs) and they move the ball, and the player development is incredible. I wish – it's almost like you wish every young NBA player could go there and and get their first three years and then go to another team because because the the, the league would be so much better. I mean, I I look at you in the three-point shot. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you had that in your arsenal at, at Cal State Fullerton, but it was something be, to, to survive and stay in the league. You had to put aside because everybody else was taking them, and you had to become the defensive specialist. Then all of a sudden, it's like, well, wait a minute. We're going to make Bruce a three-point shooter again. And and I just remember thinking to myself, like, does that happen with another franchise where they, where they sort of reignite this guy's passion to play offense like he did? Um, I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that, Mike, because it, it, it wasn't about necessarily, hey, let's get him back to shooting threes. It was more about the development, as you said. You know, ever from day one of me coming into the NBA, it was about me improving at all as, aspects of the game mm-hmm. as far as ball handling, shooting, being able to recognize certain things and not rushing and, and really taking my time in certain situations because I came into the game as a slasher. Now, I, I wasn't as and I wasn't as talented as some of the other players in the NBA, but where I separated myself from others was the defensive end, getting on the floor and being able to, you know what, okay, maybe I don't get those shots, but I'm on the floor. Hey, and next thing you know, hey, I got a shot here, I got a shot there. And, you know, as you get those shots and you you, you have the misses, that's what creates the drive. And I, I think about this game against the L.A. Clippers. I was three for 18. And this is – and I'm not the feature on our team, but I'm three for 18. I had never went through a game like that before as far as what was transpiring. Every time I got the ball, they ran away from me. Like, let him shoot it. And I'm like, what? This is my first year here. <laughs> And and it, and it and it was it was it was strange to deal with something like that because that's the last thing you want to hear. And so I make a shot. I'm like, yeah, y'all keep leaving me. And I was fine. I thought that would change the narrative. Nope. They ran back even further when I got the ball. So the the next game we we're playing in Seattle. We won that game, but I'm looking at the stat sheet and having to have my old college coach who's now an assistant with. Gonzaga, for for Zags, they lost. But he's Donnie Daniels, and he says, he says, Bruce, Bruce, you you played your ass off on defense. Bruce, you Lamar Odom couldn't do a thing. But 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 Bruce, Bruce, three for eighteen, three for eighteen, Bruce, Bruce, you need to work on 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 your game, Bruce. And and I knew what he was talking about, and he could talk to me like that and be fun and and have a good time, but. The, when we played in Seattle the next night, that's when I started this other routine. I would stay after shoot around and get up maybe 100 to 200 makes of uh, different shots that I get in our game, different wow. shots, different threes. And that's, that's where it all started for me. So I never went three for 18 again, 
But <laughs> it just, it was one of those things where you have to have those moments to really determine who you want to be. He made you, he made, he made you better. It made me better. Absolutely. And that's, and that's exactly what I was getting at, Mike. It made me better through the failure. Hmm. That's great stuff. Uh, Bruce Bowen's my guest, longtime friend back in the day. Um, I, I, I guess he was a source and somebody I covered, but I don't really think of him like that because <laughs> when you when you cover someone that uh, that got out of high school and you remember talking to them outside their own gym, uh, it's hard to it's hard to be at all objective. Uh, I want to get into your past a little bit, but beforehand, um, any any real good anecdotes about Manu or Tim that really stand out? I always thought Tim was misunderstood, like he was. Not misunderstood in that that you know like we he was a bad guy or on the court and we you know he was just one of these guys that people that because he was shied away from the media they didn't know that he had a great practical jokes streak that he had all this other um, they had all these other parts of his personality that he only showed his teammates and I wondered if any of them either Eddie or Manu is stuck out with you. Well, I think with Tim, obviously, uh, I have to. Um, go to the fact that his work ethic, it was, it was one of those deals where, um, you know, he's from the islands, but he's, he's not going to get up early to go do it. He'll get up and go run at 10 o'clock in the afternoon when it's all 10 o'clock in the morning, when it's already about 85, 90 degrees with humidity in San Antonio. But I remember when I would get my workouts in, every time I was finishing up, because I'm an early riser, Tim was coming in. And it doesn't take a whole lot. You don't have to. I think this is what separates certain players and their thinking of the game and the way they absorb the game. It didn't take a lot of talk with him. He understood mm-hmm. what Pop was getting at, and that was through the intelligence. I think I played with, with, with some very intelligent, high basketball IQ individuals in, in David, Tim, and Manu, as well as Tony. Uh, but – I think it's what separates them is the way that they do receive the information and what they do with it. Uh, very, I can't think of a time where Tim made excuses for certain things. And I used to watch the way that teams would beat up on me, but he just figured out a way and he just said, I got to be better. Uh, I got to, I got to get that. Well, he could be watching film and if he missed a player, he tapped that individual and said, you know what? Hey, my fault. I, that's, I got to make that play right there. How many superstars are saying that to a guy that that may not even be in a rotation, but he's on the floor? I got to make that play for you. That's that's who Tim was. It, it's it's uh, interesting, uh, you know, being able to say we it was we're all at the table. Me, him, Tony, Tim, mm. and, and Manu uh, last week for Manu's retirement, and and we're talking about stuff, and we haven't missed a beat. As far as, you know, even though we haven't had that time, we're just going back in time over different things. And, you know, with Manu, people really don't know how special he really was because I felt like there was this disdain at times for the San Antonio Spurs. This disdain Oh, there was definitely, because... definitely was. There, there definitely it, was. It was, uh, it was, you know what it was? It was, and it's, it's wrong on 20 different levels, and uh, people won't go there on some levels. But I, I think a little bit of it was racial, like like the San Antonio Spurs, uh, you know, weren't were not down with the brothers enough, but but they weren't like 
all tatted up enough or they weren't or they, for whatever reason they thought that you guys embodied like the duke of nba or something you were too you you played white or something and i didn't and it, and it, i don't know if you i don't know if you if you think that or that's that's just unspoken but but i always got that and it wasn't until only like the last I don't know. It's at the end of Tim's career, where people are like, "Oh, damn, that's no, that's my team," and, well, and be, I don't, and I don't I know. Maybe say, that's not fair. I would, I wouldn't say racial, Mike. I'd say it was because we weren't flashy enough. This is what I always got from people. You know, hmm. Bruce, man. You know, I, I, I want my, I want, I want my kids to respect the game like the San Antonio Spurs respect the game. But when it came to when it came to the sexiness of the game, oh, the Lakers are so much fun to watch. <laughs> you know, right. it was, and this is what happens as a parent. Do you want your kid hanging around the cool kids or those kids who are getting straight A's? Yeah. You know, who are not creating problems at school and things of that nature. So. It, it was. It, I think it was more or less of that as compared to racial. I don't think it was racial. It was just, you know, everyone looked at the Spurs as boring. But you know what? You have to talk about us in June. You have to talk about what we're doing because we're beating all those sexy teams, but, you know, you're not giving us that credit. And so for for quite some time that was going on, and then you start looking at how the Spurs transpired the NBA. As far as I'm concerned, you look at every NBA team now, not every NBA team, but you look at teams that, that have some success, a lot of those individuals that are in the organization or on the bench came from San Antonio. You look at the way teams are now resting players because they see the benefit of having a full-strength player in June and May as compared to the regular season and them burning out. Those what, are what, the what, things that the Spurs did. No, you're right. You're right. The, how about what do they call it? Load management. Well, now yep. they, they actually have a term. No, I like Tim. Tim, I like Pop's uh, one where you just put. <laughs> uh, it just put did not play old. Uh, <laughs> for, the DMP, DMP yeah, because he's old. Oh yeah. So that that was tremendous. Uh, yeah. No. I, I look. You guys. There's never. I mean, I look at when I think of the Spurs winning in 99 and then enable the, the, the idea that you could win again as they did in 2014. Um, was it 15? I can't remember. It was, I think 14. 14. Yeah. When, uh, I mean, and, and coming off the heartbreak year against the heat the year before, and then to win in five games like they did. I mean, it was just, to me, it was confirmation of pop is like Bill Belichick of of the NBA. Like he, 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 he took the same star and he worked different pieces around him over time and they were still just as successful. And I, you know, I think it's, it's amazing on 20 different levels. Mono Ginobili's retirement uh, Jersey was retired, uh, I guess it was three nights ago. You were there. Uh, any other stories from that dinner where you guys are sitting around, like any, anything that stands out like uh, funny or, or emotional or otherwise, because I, I bet I could tell you not just San Antonio people, but but the NBA would have loved to have been in that dinner, you know, just to fly oh, on the wall. Well, this is the thing. What you realize about Manu, and and I I, I got emotional, and it's like wow, you know, it, I'm sitting up here because, 
you don't realize how many people Manu touched along his his journey in the game of basketball, and and when you talk about a guy that was that was selfless, that's Manu. He, I mean, at this at this level, you have selfishness in the game of basketball. We all understand that. We have some selfish players. That's just the way it is. But Manu's whole identity was always, how can I help out my teammate that may need a shot over there? And he, he, would, he would do his damnedest to try to make sure that happened. And you don't get that from a lot of NBA guys, especially with who he was as far as his talent level. And so you see all the people he's affected you know, Fabricio, Berto, the gold medal championship team, uh, gold medal team in the Olympics, Argentina. And, I mean, when we talk about competition, those guys, they smell blood in the water against that against that American team, and oh. they went to work. Oh, I was there. I was there in Athens, and I could not believe – I mean, Oberto just dunked on, on somebody late in the game, and I was like, wait, wait a minute. These guys are cut above. I mean, you look at you look at that that whole Olympics, and that was to me that was the genesis of we got to fix our game. Like in a weird way, Manu and that Argentina team, uh, the Spurs to a degree, like they made us look at who we are as a nation. And and I got to get mine. No, no, you got to get somebody else theirs, and then you can have yours. <laughs> and, yeah, and I think and, we and became was- more, we became much more. Uh, prone to like this is how we play basketball. It's not isolation. Is th- these guys are these guys are showing us how to play again. And and that's the thing that I think that Pop loved about the spirit of Manu, uh, seeing that and and being able to take that direction. You know, I, I talk about you know coaches being so much more than just hey you're the guy that calls plays about you really impacting others in what they do as far as where they're going forward uh, or the next place that they go after after the stop with you. And so to to see that with Manu as far as him having the impact that he's had so much, it's, it's one of those deals where you have to respect him, but this was not something that he necessarily envisioned as a kid. You know, he's he's a kid that is just so happy and so go lucky that, you know, oh, wow, you want me to play for you? Well, okay, all right. And and all he wants to do is try to be the best he can be. And as he continued to improve, you just saw a different type of passion with him on the floor as compared to some of the other greats of the game. Yeah. No, you're right. Bruce Bowen's my guest. We're going over sports, Spurs, war stories. I want to take him on a different – I want to take him in a little different direction real quick because um, because one of the things I, I got from him early on in my career at the New York Times was we sat down and I said, look, how, what's your story? And he was more than forthcoming about his, his own upbringing and everything else. And, and one of the things I loved about Bruce is flat out he's used – the, the game as uh, tools and means to something bigger than just money and fame. And one of those things I thought recently that I, I really appreciated was you talking about mental health and your, your own issues um, growing up. 
this is a quote that I really it stuck with me when you when you talked that was it outside the lines? Uh huh. Yeah, and you said you had a quote that said, um, I mean, you noted that the root of the problem stems from a cultural influence, and and it leads to a lot of people ignoring their prob the problems rather than addressing them. And you said in the African American culture, there's this ten tendency to believe if we hide our problems, we'll be better off. We are brought up to believe if you talk to people about those things, that's a sign of weakness, but it's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of courage because you're taking the first step towards conquering your problems. But the other problem we have is this deep-seated mistrust of the actual people who can help you. We are raised not to trust anybody. I, could you expound on that and why you felt um, uh, so convicted about sharing your own issues and, and how deep-seated deep were they? Well, <clears throat> anxiety. Um, I don't think these are things that kids are necessarily born with. This is something that's produced in their environment. And I'm starting to, I'm talking about the household environment now. I'm talking about mm -hmm. those matriarchs of the family who are supposed to be looking out for the child, but they're sending so many different types of messages to the child as far as the conditions in which they will love the kids. And those are the things that I dealt with as far as you know, when I talk about people supporting folks, it's easy to support someone when you know that they're a, a champion. But it's in the struggles of, say, the CBA or the G League, uh, of someone coming up. That's where they need the most support. And so as a child, I didn't get that type of support, and I wondered what was going on because I think there's always that aha moment that we have where we just kind of like, you know what, something's not right but I just can't put my finger on it. And and I was an angry child because of my situation. My situation being that I had a mother who was a drug addict, uh, a father who wasn't around, and a grandmother who was raising me. Um, but every time I asked where my mom was, I never got a straight answer. And so there's all these different things where people are thinking that they're helping the child out, where in all actuality, they're actually hindering the process and they are tainting the areas of trust with the kids. And so when mm -hmm. I talk about that trust with the kids, your mother is the first person that you're supposed to be able to trust. I couldn't trust my mother. And that affected me as far as relationships that I had in the future until I got a better understanding of talking to someone. And through that, through that communication with someone, a therapist, it's allowed me to be better. It's allowed me to be an individual where, you know, I can now figure certain things out the way things are going. There was a time where if I made someone upset, let's just say a surrogate family that took care of me to thrashes in, in Los Angeles, if I came in late and missed my curfew, my dad, who he, he was he was right there like, hey, uh, there's consequences for this. But in my mind, I thought they were done with me. And I remember when, he and my mom, Sandra Thrash, said, hey, you know what? We we don't stop loving you because you've disobeyed us. It's just you have to deal with the consequences of your actions. Yeah. And it was at that moment where I started to understand that, oh, this is, this is so different than what I grew up with. There would be times where I understood that, you know, my, my mother, she needed, she, she had to get money in order to, support her hat. Well, and, so, and I remember the, the part that broke my heart when I talked to you about it first, and I think it was 2003, was you just told me this story that 
you came home to watch TV one day and the TV was gone and you asked your mom what happened and she'd sold it for drugs. Yeah. That's, I mean, well, I can't, okay. I can't even imagine what the hurt that a child would have at that age as, as little as you were walking in and that just, I don't know. It broke well, my the, heart. The, the, the thing about that one, Mike, was that it was my birthday. And mm. all I've been asking mm. for was an Atari, Atari 5200. And so I was coming back from a trip with my papa, my grandfather, her dad. And, I, you know, I've been, I've been given all these hints about I want this Atari, this Atari, this Atari. And when I get there, there is no TV. There is nothing. Mm. And, and for me as a child, she said someone stole the TV and she, think, she thinks she knows who did it. That's what really had me even more scared because, well, if you know who did it, why don't you call them the police? You understand yeah, what I'm saying? Exactly. You know, but these, these are the things that as I got older, I started learning so many different things about my family that I never knew before because my family was a family that didn't share things with kids because kids were meant to be seen and not heard. You don't talk to kids like that. And, you know, God rest her soul. My grandmother just passed away. Mm. And I, uh, I understand more about her now in our absence of not talking because I look at the family and I'm like, man, it's just, so she had a grand, she had a son that died at five years old. Uh, I believe it was five. He got hit by a drunk driver and killed instantly. And so I kind of replaced him in her eyes. So your, your, for, a, for your mother or your grandmother? My grandmother. Uh, you, so you so, became so you became that you I became the son she didn't have after she lost exactly. her son to a to a tragic car accident. Exactly. Yeah. And I never talked to anybody about this. This is just me kind of starting to figure certain things out about my life. Mm. And so because she, it was not fun for me being with my grandmother all the time because I wanted to be with my biological mother, but she was nowhere to be found. So. Yeah. In those scenarios, you know, I'm like, well, where's, where's my mother? I, I, where, when is she coming back? Because think about this. That's my mother. I, I, yeah. I need to be with her. I, I just, you know, so when I hear guys, and it used to always rub me a different way, when I hear guys say things like, man, shoot, it, my mom did everything for me. i got to take care of her. I never had that feeling. And yeah. and I used to I used to deal with that because people told me that I was wrong for me feeling the way that I felt. But I was the child. I'm the victim in this. But so many people are constantly telling me how wrong I am because I'm not doing these things with them. Right. You're not. And so I so I would I would say this. And you we went over this a lot. It's the whole idea of at some point you you have to choose your family of origin or your family of choice. And you, when, when Robert and Sandra Thrash, Thrash came into your life, like they did at Fullerton where you went to school, you, you realized that that was a more nurturing family than your own. And I, just for clarity's sake, are you still, are the Thrashes still around and are you still uh, oh, in touch with them? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every time. So when I was working with the Clippers, I'd go stay at, at their house. Uh, oh, nice. I got, it gave me a chance to spend time with my nieces because my mom would watch my nieces. And yeah. so, you know, I noticed now, like, man, I was so involved with the nieces last year as compared to this year because I was there so much more. But, yeah, they, they've they been there. And, and I appreciate that 
But, Mike, this is the thing is that when you start to understand the things that you missed or the anger that you may have held on to in regards to how certain things took place, in order for you to move forward, you got to let stuff go. you got to forget. And there was a time where I didn't want to forgive because I was so upset because I had been robbed of an opportunity to have, you know, a relationship with my, my biological mother. And so what has transpired since then is that all the things that I've gone through as a child, those things that I remember, I try to make sure that I'm better for my boys as they continue to grow and as they continue to do different things. And there are moments where, you know, people see my kids with me and, and you know, we, we have a, a mutual guy and there's Bruce Bernstein. He, he always talked about the, the, the Bowen boys because when <laughs> I would bring my kids up to Bristol, you know, if it's, a, if it's a winter break and I have my kids, I'm divorced and I have my kids, they're with me there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we even found out, figured out a way to get them involved in one of the shows one time. But those are things that my boys, they have a, they have a wonderful relationship with their mom. And I'm so happy that yeah. they do because that was the whole goal of when we decided to have kids was that I wanted my kids to have that bond with their mother. You know, that yeah. and you look at boys and moms, they have great relationships. And I wanted that for my boys because I didn't have that. Yeah. And so I think that's ultimately what we're to do as far as trying to not necessarily beat up thing on things that we don't have or that we didn't have, but let's make it better. Let's make it better through maybe being a little bit more selfless and giving your kids something you didn't have. Bruce Bowen's my guest, uh, always compelling. Um, he's a, uh, obviously an NBA analyst with ESPN, uh, uh, I think eight or nine time defensive, all defensive team. <laughs> I mean, shoot, you, you, you basically, I think Ray Allen's still angry at you for the way in which you, uh, you, the way in which you just completely annihilated him on the court. Uh, look, I, I got to get to this really quick. Did you ever reconcile with your biological mother, Dietrich Campbell or, um, or Bruce Bowen senior, your father, your biological father, or were those things you just left alone uh, as you got older? No, no, as I got older, they, there was a lot of blame in there, mm-hmm. and they blamed me. And so it's just like this. You know, I don't have any ill will towards them. I'm, I'm thankful that, that I am here through them. Uh, but we don't have a relationship because th- they are still stuck on, or I should say my mother is still stuck on certain things that she's still trying to prove me to be uh, an untrusty individual, uh, but that's, that's, you know, I understand that. And, and my biggest thing with, with them, all of them, Bruce never did try to do anything with me because yeah. he knew, he knew. And it's like, uh, let me stay away. But, yeah. um, you know, the saddest part about all of it, Mike, is that they missed out on getting a chance to get to know me. And, and the grand man. and the grandsons. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. And so I choose not to put my kids in an environment where it's just turmoil. And that's yeah. what I that's what goes on there. Anytime that um, you know um, we are in Fresno, there's a 
there's there's a circle that we're with and we're there constantly. But <clears throat> I want my boys to understand that it's about the love and support of those in our circle that continues to support them as they continue to do things. The turmoil and things that's that's not that's unnecessary. And I know there's people that say things, Oh, but that's your mother and you need to this. It's hard for people to have empathy for me because they have not walked in my shoes. Yeah. No, that I'm was with one of the things that that's one of the things I had to learn, Mike, is that, you know, when people didn't see it my way or didn't understand my plight, I had to respect that as well because that happened more times than not. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Bowen is my guest. I want to say um, you've you've turned into a great dad. Everybody tells me stories about how you're uh, how you're great with Ohani and I think it's Osmel. Is that Osmel? Um, yep. Osmel, Osmel and Ohani, I think they're 13, 11. You coach them now. And I really, this is, I, I'm probably bearing the whole lead of this whole podcast, but I want you to tell, I want you, as a former player, you might, I mean, you want your player, you know, you got to the NBA. I never got past NAI, you know, like I, they put me in when I was, they were down 20 and it was like, you can't hurt us wives, go in. And, and like, I never got to the level you did, but I still love the game. And I think my kid's pretty good. I just, how do, just tell me, how do I not be a psycho sports parent? Because you're someone who should be one based on the fact that you played before and you want your kids to be that good. How do you just let it go and, and let them be themselves? I need to learn more of that. Well, it's about teaching the game. Sometimes we assume they know things that they don't, Mike. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. You see a lot of it in the AAU sector where these coaches that, that come from certain areas and certain environments, all they do is milk the kid for what he's good at. So let's say the kid is good at dribbling with his right hand. He never teaches the kid to dribble with his left. So what ends up happening is that they come up against another team that forces him to have to utilize his weak hand. He's not able to. I think that's a detriment to the kids because you're not teaching them the fundamentals of the game. And when you look at the game today, I'm watching, you know, it just so happened to be Gonzaga, but, you know, the, uh, the, the Italian kid, I forget his name for Texas Tech, but he knocks down the three off oh. of the pick and roll because, because nobody's up on that, on that pick and roll. And this is what's going on with our game right now is that kids are not being developed right now. That's why you see some guys that are, second- and third-year players in the, in the college system that are having so much success because they're being taught. Right now, when I'm working on certain things with my kids, I go back to the fundamentals, jump stop, two-hand chest pass, bounce pass, fake a pass, make a pass, all these different things I'm going over with my kids at practice. Only because they watch so much YouTube and they see the finished product of KD and Steph Curry or Russell Westbrook, and they think they have that. But they have not seen all the work that has gone into Steph, KD, and Russell Westbrook to be who they are. So it's up to us to teach them constantly. Don't leave it up to them. This is where coaching is a lot like parenting. You don't ask your kid what they like to go to bed at 8 or 9 o'clock. Mm -hmm. You tell them to get in bed at 8 o'clock because you understand that they need their rest for tomorrow's day. It's not up to them. And when I hear so much of these young kids questioning what the coach is talking about, 
that's when I really know that we're not teaching our kids. And when I see them happy that they have, they've gone three for 20 with three three-pointers, but they're three for 15 from three-point land, <laughs> and they think they've had a good game. <laughs> Boom shakalaka. Bruce Bowen with real <laughs> coaching knowledge. I love it. Now, now I just want to go and tell my, tell my son, stop with going behind the line. You're just chucking stuff from there. You're not Clay Thompson. Get over yourself. Go, go. Well, well, and, yeah. <laughs> you know what it does, too? It really yeah. exposes a lot of things as far as what we're teaching. I, I'll give you this one, and, and this is what I this is what I base everything off of when it comes to coaching. When yeah. you see a, a a coach on the sideline just screaming and yelling, not not Izzo, not I'm not talking about what Izzo did yeah. that that got so much unnecessary and unwarranted uh, criticism because he was coaching that kid. Completely you know, the agree. Kid have a, the kid didn't have a problem with what he was doing, but see, this is how we mess up kids today. Now social media is saying he didn't have to do that to him. Where that kid never thought of that before, but now that kid might think about it like, well, I guess he didn't have to say it quite like that. Where (laughs) 20 years ago, it was no big deal. It was just being coached. So I get back on my correct point before I I get it. So, you know, you see a a coach on the sideline just yelling and screaming and frustrated and, and acting out a lot of times it's because he has not taught the kid how to play. So I had a situation where I say, go back door. And I'm like, go back door. And the kid is looking at me like, what in the world is back door? I don't see a door on the court. What are you talking about? And so as, as, as the play went on, I just I said, man, I haven't taught them how to go back door. Here it is. I'm speaking another language to them. Uh, so I have to teach. So we need to get back to the teachers. I'm not saying that some teachers don't yell as they teach, but we got to get back to the teaching of the game so that these kids can be better suited to receive even more information as they continue to graduate to different levels. Uh, this is great. Uh, you've been so good. I'm going to do like a one-minute lightning round with you so we get to everything. True okay. or false, did Bill Russell tell you because of your defensive contributions in the NBA, you should one day be in the Hall of Fame? Not true. Not true. Okay. Um, where did that come from? I don't know where I got that from. I tell uh, you, hey, he said I was MVP. Oh, okay. All right. So, so this is great. The, the Mike Wise show embellishes everything. Great. Uh, that's good. That's cool. He, hey, you got, you got, you got Bill Russell to say you you deserve to be MVP. That is, oh, that's that's a feather in your cap. Um, Man, that's true, more than a feather in my cap. Yeah, that that's legendary. You can't even like. You almost want that on tape, just to like you know. Uh, but um, uh, true or false, um, a person in your life that I know very well, Quinn Crozier, uh, who took you under his wing in Fresno very years. He once had a saying called. Nothing good happens after midnight. Yeah. <laughs> True. I love that saying yeah. because it's basically uh, it's, saying because it's so on the True, it is. I, I got you know, caught up in some mess, and yeah. and I, I remember hanging out with my old teammate. It it is it is eleven forty five, and now <laughs> I my watch is about twelve fifteen. I'm supposed to be in the house and. Uh, somebody came shooting through this area that we were at. 
And I remember I got home, and I'm telling Quinn I'm so nervous and scared. And he just looked at me and said, what I tell you? Nothing good happens after midnight. Uh, like, say that's, uh, I love that saying. I use it now when I'm 55. I'm driving around going, it's 11.55. I got to get home. I'm going <laughs> I'm, I'm to eat something bad. Or I'm going I'm to call you know, I'm going to call up an old girlfriend. I shouldn't talk to her. No, uh, no. A, uh, uh, tr- true or false. Um, go playing for Le Havre in France, Evreux, Fort Wayne Fury, Rockford Lightning, based on Khan. I don't even know where that was. Rockford Lightning again. And then finally working, you know, being cut by the Miami Heat, the Boston Celtics, Philadelphia 76ers, and eventually sticking with the Heat for a year. And then San Antonio, of course, for the majority of your career that made you that made you who you are as a persevering guy with tons of resolve that is never going to leave you in your life true it 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 taught me the due diligence of work and it also taught me other lessons as far as options are concerned you know the first time i was cut by miami heat i was supposed to go to orlando milwaukee and and cleveland in the summer as well I chose to stay in Miami because Pat Riley said my best opportunity in NBA was there. So I cut off all my options with the other teams, and I had to wait another year and a half before I finally got to the NBA because no one knew me except the Miami Heat. So Mm. that is very true as far as helping me develop as a player. And this is something for all the kids out there or parents that are listening to this. Don't, Don't think it's the end of the world when your son gets cut or if they don't get the job that they wanted on their first try, it is something that helps them to create drive as well as learning from their lessons that has transpired there. I love it. It's all great. I could talk to you for two more hours. Thank you. So, <laughs> hey, man, you, uh, like, there's a reason I met you. As a, I was 25 years old, my first job out of college, 24 years old. You were, what, 17 or 18 and I just remember sit, standing in that West Fresno parking lot and thinking to myself, <laughs> how is this dude going to get out of this place? Because I don't know what the hell his support system is. And, man, every time I meet, every time I see you, I think to myself, no one has an excuse anymore because Bruce Bowen made it. Thank you, sir. Okay. Not a problem, my man. Appreciate you, Mike. And I wish you nothing but continued success, my man. Uh, well, I'll see you soon, and thank you much. That was dope. <laughs> Bruce Bowen was my guest today. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back for another edition of the Mike Wise Show next week. I can't thank enough. Uh, shoot, uh, Scott Turkin jumped in for Bruce Bernstein this week, and Jeff Torini has made magic on the other side. All the people at Pure Hoops Media, thank you so much. The Mike Wise Show used to be called the Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois.